three. Anderson will let it go. They need this from him, and the Falcons get a three ball from Ryan Anderson. 35% from the three. At the All-Star break, he struggled. And he's good right now. Ryan Anderson hits again. Anderson. He has a jump shot that's beautiful at his size. All of their points in this quarter have come from the bench. All 18. Anderson. That montage is from Game 3 of the 2015 playoffs when Ryan Anderson scored 26 points off the bench against the Golden State Warriors, a team that the Rockets would absolutely love to see Anderson have similarly good playoff games against in the years to come. Welcome in to another episode of Locked on Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose. As free agency largely wraps up, we've been spending a lot of time on this show reviewing what exactly the Rockets did this offseason. We've had a few recent podcasts covering two longtime Rockets. One is Donatus Maniunas, who remains a restricted free agent, but seems likely to return. And the other is Dwight Howard, who left the Rockets, of course, for the Atlanta Hawks. In this show, however, we're going to focus on the new additions, like Ryan Anderson, that the Rockets have brought in this offseason. Factoring in the cap hole for Maniunas, the Rockets entered July with about $40 million in cap room, and an additional $2.9 million available, of course, through what's called a room exception. That's now pretty much all been spent. James Harden's deal was renegotiated and extended through 2020, representing about $9 million more per season in salary. It's a steep price, but it's one the Rockets absolutely had to pay for the sake of continuity. To make themselves more attractive to free agents, both now and in the years ahead, the Rockets absolutely had to show that Harden was committed to the franchise and didn't have one foot out the door like Kevin Durant did in, in Oklahoma City. The room exception, of course, went to Nene. Now 33 years old, Nene isn't the workhorse that he once was. But that should be okay, because the Rockets truly do believe that Clint Capella is primed to take a big jump entering his third season. It's that progression of Capella as a potential double-double guy inside that's really made the Rockets comfortable enough to let Dwight Howard leave, and Capella is going to be the guy called upon to play the majority of the minutes inside and defend the rim. What the Rockets need behind Capella, given his youth, is proven experience and depth, and that's exactly what Nene can provide. Even at 33 years old, Nene is perfectly capable of providing 20 to 25 good minutes per game, and he really should be an above-average backup center in that role. Remember, this is a guy that averaged roughly 9 points and 5 rebounds on close to 55% shooting in just 19 minutes a game with the Wizards last year. Those per 36 numbers were quite good. Also, from what I've been told, Nene chose the Rockets because he really believes that Mike D'Antoni's up-tempo system is ideal for his game. Whereas the Wizards had largely relegated Nene to a post role, he thinks that D'Antoni's system will allow him to showcase his passing skills and his ability to run the floor. For those wondering why he'd signed such a cheap deal, given the explosion in player salaries, that's probably your answer. Nene is willing to take a cheap one-year deal in order to allow himself to hopefully reestablish his value. But Nene's addition and Harden's new deal only accounted for a small portion of what the Rockets did this month. The vast majority of their spending... $133 million over four years, to be exact, went to Ryan Anderson and shooting guard Eric Gordon, both formerly members of the New Orleans Pelicans. Anderson is the type of stretch forward the Rockets have sought for years, and his ability as a big man to hit threes and score 20 points per game is particularly important in this coming season, given how much of D'Antoni's system depends on scoring and spreading the floor. Meanwhile, Gordon will try to fill the role that Ty Lawson couldn't a year ago, that of a secondary playmaker after Harden. If the Rockets want Harden to become a better all-around player, and that includes defense, first and foremost, the single biggest thing they can do is find someone else who can create off the dribble. 
and really just reduce Harden's extreme workload on offense. That's what Daryl Morey hopes he's found in Gordon, who's still only, what, 27 years old, and is just a few years removed from being the centerpiece of the Chris Paul trade. With all that said, though, as a Rockets writer for Sports Talk 790, the official Flagstaff radio station of the team, there's only so much I can say, having just been introduced to Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon earlier this month at the press conference. Of course, I've seen a few games of theirs on TV, and I've covered games in which the Pelicans have played the Rockets, but I haven't had an up-close and personal look at these guys. One person who has is Brett Dawson, the Pelicans beat writer for the New Orleans Advocate. He's also the host of uh, of our sister podcast, the Locked On Pelicans. So I thought that Brett Dawson was a pretty natural fit to step in and talk about what Rockets fans can expect with the major additions of Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon. So if y'all will stick with me for just a second, I'll play back the chat that I had with Brett today, and he'll give you a better idea of what you can expect from these two guys. Brett Dawson, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, First question I had, I read your article back on the day that Brian Anderson and Eric Gordon first signed with the Rockets, and one thing that really struck me was your reference to Mike D'Antoni's system and how current New Orleans coach Alvin Gentry was formerly an assistant under D'Antoni with those Suns teams. So in a lot of ways, the principles of what Gentry has been trying to install with the Pelicans are similar to what D'Antoni is looking to do in Houston. How did, you know, I know it's early, but how did Ryan and Eric look in that offense? Yeah, it's a very similar offense, in fact, um, and and I'm sure it's tweaked along the way uh, at every stop. I'm sure D'Antoni makes some changes. He set out, I actually uh, spent a long time on the phone with him uh, last fall talking about offense because we were talking about this system, and that was like an all-time thrill for me as a reporter because he's a really fascinating guy to talk about offense with and I know yep. it's it's constantly changing a little but Tony Douglas who played here this year played for D'Antoni in New York and he said the principles are basically exactly the same the, the movement uh, the ball and player movement uh, the, the pushing the looking for the first good open shot the idea that your ball handler um, and this will be interesting with the Rockets that your primary ball handler you want him to give the ball up and then get it back yeah uh, you know you, you don't necessarily want a guy who's dominating the ball and so it's a different kind of system for those two guys who are a little bit they have a tendency to stop the ball and, and I mm-hmm. think the, the good news I think for Houston is that you are going to get guys who have played in it for a year, and almost everybody says you're better off in it the second year. You get to uh, uh, um, you've adjusted a little bit more. Yeah. You have a better expectation of it, and so I think those guys will probably reap the benefits of this year, uh, next year in Houston. I think that's going to help them have a better sense of what to do with it. That said, I mean they're guys who have played in the league for a while, and they have an established style of play. And it is going to take uh, some adjusting on their part and, and some convincing, I think, on Mike D'Antoni's part to get those guys to understand that that's the way this works, that the ball has to move, that it can't stick in a player's hands, yeah. um, that you're, you're, you're really looking to move the ball and move yourself. Yeah. Um, I know both of those guys have had some injury concerns, some chronic and others just plain fluky. Um, I'll start with Ryan. Of course, no one's too worried about the sports hernia last year. But anytime you hear about two herniated discs and, you know, neck surgery, there's definitely some concern over that player's long-term future. Uh, Anderson came back two years ago from that, and his percentages were down across the board from, you know, before the neck injury. But this past year, his numbers started to perk back up a little. Did he look like he was getting healthier? He did. He looked better, and he he looked like a, a, I mean, he had some moments offensively that were 
pretty spectacular. I think he had a 30-point half against Sacramento. He, he's had some, he had some really, really good games. And there were some times when Anthony Davis was out where they really asked him to carry the load offensively. And he was capable of doing that at times. Um, I, I think where you still see some, some uh, lingering effects of all that stuff is at the defensive end, where he was never a great player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he, he still has some issues. I think he has a hard time. In some cases, I think he has a hard time just competing defensively. He's not as mobile probably as he used to be. He's not a real strong defender. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's where I think maybe some of the injuries uh, have taken a toll on him is just, you know, can he can he be even what he once was defensively, which was never great. I mean, that's yeah. not why you go out and you didn't spend $20 million a year on Ryan Anderson for his defense, obviously. Yeah. But the question is, can he at least compete? Can he, can he be a guy who's not such a liability? And I think that's the thing that remains to be seen kind of in his – in the, the post-injury and, and after the, the sports tourney as well, although I, I'm and with you, I don't think that's a significant thing. Guys get that cleaned up all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about his role. You know, you mentioned kind of having to carry the offense some without Anthony Davis. One thing that's always been curious to me, you know, in New Orleans, he's always kind of had to play that, you know, that catalyst role off the bench. Because New Orleans doesn't want to make Anthony Davis a full-time five, and I understand why. You know, you make Anthony Davis a full-time five, he's going to take a pounding. And, you know, he's your franchise player, you want to keep him fresh. So it's kind of been, you know, Anthony Davis at the four, uh, Omer Oshik or some other body at the five to kind of take on some of the defensive responsibility. And then Anderson as your sixth man off the bench. And then, of course, there's some moments where, you know, Anderson and uh, Davis play together in a small ball lineup. But... It seems like if you want to build a case for optimism, you could say that, you know, maybe Anderson was a little inefficient because he had to come in off that bench and kind of be, you know, a gunner at times. Whereas if he can consistently be a starter at the four, you know, maybe he would get more shots within the flow, you know, within the normal flow of an offense next to starting quality players. Uh, Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, again, I, I would the, the one question I have is that there's another end of the floor, and so now right. he has to well, defend yeah. the starting four as well, and that, that becomes an issue. But yeah, I think that's a, a definitely, you can make a legitimate case for that, and also a legitimate case for the fact that, that defensively, when he was not on the floor with Anthony Davis, you can't really focus on him defensively. You're not going to give yep. him open shots. That's what I mean. So, it's a little different when, when he's playing with James Harden. I mean, you know, when, when there is somebody who's going to draw so much attention from the defense. And that was the case sometimes with Anthony Davis, but as a post player, uh, you know, it, it's not quite the same. The, the uh, You know, the, the Pelicans had so many non-threats this year yeah. uh, offensively. You're playing Alonzo G a lot of minutes. You're playing Dante Cunningham, who had his best shooting year, but is, is not a shooter. Is not a guy that people uh, respect a whole lot. And so... Yeah. Defense has shifted so much of their attention to Davis, they could leave a guy with Anderson. Nobody's going to leave Ryan Anderson wide open. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he, because he, was, uh, he wasn't getting a lot of starting time, he was coming in with those second units, yeah, I think that benefits him defensively, but it probably has been a hindrance to his offense. Yeah, that, yeah that's what I would think because, it, you know, you bring a guy like that in as the sixth man, and, you know, he can do it capably. He's a better creator off the dribble than folks think. That's one thing that Gerald Morey pointed out in the uh, press conference a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, it, you know, it would seem to take a toll on efficiency a little bit. You know, you might shoot, for, you know, 42% instead of 45 that kind of thing. Um, to get back to his defense, you know, one thing that interests me, his weaknesses on defense are a bit different than what Houston fans might be used to. You know, I'm sure you've seen on NBA Twitter, you know, in Houston, there's like a new vine every week of James Harden missing an assignment, that kind of thing. Um, with Ryan Anderson, my recollection is that he generally hustles and plays hard on defense, but like you were saying earlier, the issues are kind of 
more a lack of lateral quickness and you know strength and shot blocking. Is yeah. Go yeah, ahead. That, that that is. I mean, I, I don't think anybody really knocks his effort. Um, you know, there are people who will tell you he he is such a offensively he's such a natural shooter. People have told me, and he has actually told me, he is not one of those guys who spends a lot of time in the lab. Yeah. You know, he's not, like, tweaking his shot. He's not getting up a lot of extra jump shots. And so, like, he might not be in the gym all the time like some guys are going to be. But I don't think people question his effort and his willingness to do things. It, for him, it really is about physical ability. Where we've seen Harden commit to defense sometimes, and all of a sudden, right. he's not such a bad defender. I think Anderson is committed. There are just some things he's not good at. Right. Okay. Um... Of the two players the Rockets acquired from the Pelicans, you know, I feel like Anderson's more of a known commodity. At this point in his career, he is what he is. Gordon, on the other hand, seems to have a little bit more variability, I would say, largely based on his health. I know the finger issue last year was a complete fluke situation, but there's a lot of long-term concern with his knee. And I'm, you know, I'm curious if that, uh, you know, if he had any knee issues this past year or when the last time that uh, that, that issue kind of cropped up. Yeah, I think it's been a year. I don't think anything, you know, they had so many injuries and I don't have the notes in front of me. Off the yeah. top of my head, I don't think he missed any time uh, with knee stuff this That's year. Good. And actually at the beginning of the year, I thought, and this was my first year covering them, I had followed them very closely the, the previous year because I was looking at this job and I didn't have yep. it yet. Um, but but he looked to me at the beginning of the year, he looked pretty explosive. Uh, he had a couple of games where he really rose up and dunked the ball with authority in a way that I don't think he had. And yep. he kept saying during the year, I'm more than a three-point shooter, that last year he wasn't healthy, and that's why he had to become almost exclusively a, a shooter. That's really what his role was last year on that team. This past year, it changed a little bit. They asked him to do a little bit more. He's still not, I mean, he's not, you know, he's not 24 anymore. It's it's not, he's not as explosive going to the basket, and he is yep. more of a three-point shooter. Um, but but he has the ability to do some things, and he, he looked healthy for the most part. The finger thing, it's too bad because he, he was having a nice year, and obviously he was in a contract year. He wanted to play well. Yep. Um, he probably, I mean, I have to assume he came back too early from that finger because he broke it again. Yep, he like, re-injured it. Immediately, yep. like the, same, the first game he came back. So I, I, I have to think he rushed that back a little bit. But that thing is a total fluke. They're winning the game. He, he, he just, you know, he just gets hit the wrong way in the finger, and it happens again. And that can happen in any situation. But the, the stuff with the knee, for now, I, I think, you know, anytime you have a knee injury, anytime you've had yeah. anything that, that, that sets you out for multiple stretches of seasons, it's a concern. Yeah. And, and here they had such bad luck that it always seemed to be kind of hanging over their heads. But he did not show, I didn't think, a lot of ill effects from it this past year. Okay. That's good. Um, another thing I'm curious about with Gordon is his ability in off-the-ball situations. As I'm sure you know, the Ty Lawson experiment next to James Harden, well, it, it was pretty much a disaster. Now, not all of that was the situation. Lawson just wasn't really ready to play basketball last year, and you could see that by how poorly he played in, in Indiana after leaving Houston. But even aside from Lawson's personal issues, he never looked comfortable playing off the ball, which is something I know that everyone has to do with Harden as the primary facilitator. I know Gordon did it some in New Orleans playing next to Drew Holiday. Uh, I'm just curious how he did. Yeah, I think that's his ideal role. I think you want him off the ball as much as you can because he's not really a creator. I think what you want him to be, as long as he's willing to do it and, and you know accepts his role, I think you want him to be a play finisher and not really a play initiator. 
Um, you'd like him to kind of park, I think, and shoot threes. That's what he's really good at. And he, he wants to do a little more than that. He wants to put the ball on the floor. But I think he's best served playing alongside a guy like Holiday was and like Harden will be who can create opportunities for him. I think that's the that that's the role he needs to be in. You need to simplify some things for him because I think yeah. he's a very good catch-and-shoot player. Yeah, and I think he's okay using screens, and he's okay. You know, he's he's not great off the dribble. Although he has a nice mid range game, he's got a nice pull up. Um, you know, if if he gets you in the air at the three point line, he can get into space and you know shoot a mid range shot. He's got a, a nice offensive repertoire that I think does not need to include a whole bunch of putting the ball on the floor. Yeah. So just reading between the lines, it feels like that you know you you think that Houston's a great fit for for Gordon, and I guess for for Ryan Anderson. It seems like the one X factor is if Clint Capella can, uh, you know, potentially, is Capella good enough to cover some of Anderson's defensive deficiencies? Yeah, that's important, I think, being able to cover for Anderson. And, frankly, you have to be able to to cover some for Gordon, too, who's not a great defensive player by any stretch. And that would be my biggest concern in pairing him with Harden. Uh, is just, you know, who, who's going to stop guys? Because Holiday yeah. is a versatile enough guy who, and by the way, the Pelicans were awful defensively. So yeah. when I say anything complimentary of Drew Holiday's defense, gotcha. it's not like it solved all the problems. Um, but but Holiday is a versatile enough guy who they could put on twos, they could put him on the point guard. Uh, he's big and physical. And, and whoever your best backcourt threat was, he was typically going to guard. They were getting Gordon off that guy. And so that is a concern. I think for both guys, the two big concerns – for me in both situations. How are they defensively? And then just how are they, when they have a guy who's going to need the ball and needs to score, how willing are they to kind of move, move the ball, the ball. Yeah. And, and get it into the right places and not take every available shot? The, Ryan Anderson, the, the worst thing Anderson does offensively, by far the worst thing he does, is his post-up game because he'll post up sometimes even smaller guys. He shoots a really awkward fadeaway. Yeah. And sometimes, yep, man, does he make it. Sometimes he makes four or five of them in a row. But for a teammate... Uh, the fourth or fifth time he shoots it, if he's not making it, the fourth or fifth time he shoots that over a smaller guy, yep. you start to get a little frustrated and you start to wonder why the ball isn't getting to you a little more. Yep. And so he's got to be willing to, to get some of that out of his game to really thrive in this offense. And it was a little bit of a struggle last year. I think he's got to continue to work at that. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're referring to, the uh, the one-legged uh, yep. Dirk impersonations, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, there are times when it looks brilliant and there are others when you know he becomes a little bit of a ball stopper. Um yeah, the reason I'm less concerned about Gordon, you know, just between us, you know, I, I'm a big believer that if if those two guys, Gordon and Anderson, work as they should offensively, that's going to free up Harden so much to be the player he was two years ago defensively. When really, I'd say the 2014-2015 season, I'd say he was at least average, if not above average. You know, I think a big part of the problem with Harden defensively this past year was the um, was the workload that he that he took on offensively that you know he just didn't have the fitness to play on both ends of the court. And so, you know, I think that can help, you know, the the Harden Gordon pairing some. The bigger question to me is, you know, is Clint Capella ready to be a guy that can kind of cover up for Anderson's strength and shot blocking issues and of course we'll have to, you know, wait and see on that. Um the last question that I had for you, after this past year, everybody in Houston's really concerned about chemistry because obviously the Rockets had much more talent than a 41 and 41 team a year ago. But, you know, the record was less than the sum of the parts because the chemistry just never came together. Having seen these two guys up close, how are they in the locker room? Are they, are they guys that blend in rather easily? Uh, they're guys who are, you know, um, 
this locker room was not, I, I don't think, particularly close-knit. When I say that, um, you know, there's a lot of guys who don't show up pregame, and so our, our extent of the locker room is shoot-arounds when they did them yep. and Alvin Gentry cancels them a lot. So, you know, post-game, which is a little weird. But uh, I would say that Gordon is a little bit – first, I would say Gordon is a great post-game locker room guy media-wise. Yep. Because it doesn't matter how he plays, he's going to be there to talk. And if they get beat by 40 or they win by 30, he's fine. He's going to be there. He's going to talk to you. If he's great, he's going to talk about being great. If he's terrible, he's going to tell you about why he was terrible. Um, Anderson's not as much that way. He's a great guy to talk to when things are going well. And he's a really good guy to – you know, he seems to be a great guy. You know, like I never say anybody's a great guy because I don't know them. Right. But from a, a you know, just being around him standpoint, he's a fun guy. He's an enjoyable guy. When things can go bad for the team, he can kind of uh, sneak out, seclude himself a little bit. But I think both those guys were a little bit detached in the locker room. But I think there was a lot of detachment in that locker room. I think that's one of the reasons why there are so many changes in New Orleans mm-hmm. because I don't think there was great chemistry here. Uh, this past year. And so, you know, I, I think it's it's in a way probably unfair for me to judge what kind of locker room guys they were because I've seen such a small sample of them yeah. in such a strange locker room. But yeah. I think they're guys, I think they're pretty easy to get along with as teammates because I don't think they're real boat rockers. Gordon uh, got asked to come off the bench only one game and did not like it. And I think that created, a, you know, not a huge rift or anything. I don't think it was a problem. But I think coaches ideally would have liked him to accept it a little bit more. But I think for the most part, they're guys that don't really rock the boat. I think Anderson's a guy that, for the reasons I talked about a minute ago, he can be a little frustrating to have on your team on occasion. There are some things he's going to do offensively yeah. um, that are going to cause problems, but nobody dislikes the guy. He's a, he's a well-liked guy um, just from a standpoint of, you know, he's funny, he's really he can be self-deprecating. I think he's an enjoyable presence in a locker room, and I think he can lighten things up a little bit when they need to be lightened up. So, you know, I, I think it's hard to say exactly – how they'll fit because the the fit here was so sort of fragmented, but but they're certainly not um, you know locker room. I don't like the word cancers. No, I know what you mean. Problems. Okay, that's good. Well, Brett, thank you so much for the time, buddy. Uh, why don't you toss out your Twitter handle and your podcast where uh, where folks can find you if they want to hear more? Sure, thanks. It's at uh, it's at B Dawson writes on Twitter, and the podcast is Locked On Pelicans, which is on iTunes and all the places that yours are on the network. Sounds good. Well, Brett, thank you so much for the time, and I'll be talking to you soon, okay? All right, thanks, Ben. I thought that was a nice chat with Brett. Overall, it left me feeling pretty encouraged, because the one thing I think we can all agree on is that the Rockets have the coach and the roster to be a dynamic offense, potentially the second or third best in the entire NBA. Remember, they were already a top 10 offensive team last year, and that was simply based on having the sheer brilliance of James Harden. Now they've added two dynamic scorers and shooters, all with a coach in Mike D'Antoni that's known for his innovation on that side of the ball. It remains to be seen, of course, how exactly these pieces fit together, and we won't get to that until October when they report to training camp and we see them on the floor. But seeing the reports of how the players are working out this week in Las Vegas, and of course Brett's comments about Anderson and Gordon being easygoing and easy to get along with in the locker room, it has me feeling pretty good. Also, from an injury standpoint, it's good that none of the so-called chronic injuries, the neck for Anderson and the knee for Gordon, neither of those was an issue this past season. Because if those guys are healthy and the Rockets have a top-five offense, they're absolutely going to be a playoff team. Remember, the West is not as strong as it was a couple of years ago. Portland had the five seed this past season, and they only won 44 games. Swing three games, and that's a 500 club. There's definitely a lot of room for the Rockets to move up the Western Conference standings. 
With that said, are the Rockets going to have a great defense? No, I'm aware of that. And that's exactly why they're not true contenders. That was Houston's weakness this past season and the departure of Dwight Howard and the addition of two offense first players in Anderson and Gordon isn't really going to help that. Even if the reduced workload on offense allows Harden to go back to the you know plus defender he was back in the 2014-2015 season, it would help some, but definitely not enough to put the Rockets in the level of the Warriors. Let's not get crazy. However, in the bigger picture, I'm not as pessimistic on the Rockets in defense as a lot of folks seem to be. I see a lot of folks on Twitter that stereotype Mike D'Antoni based on the reputation, and the combination of that with the signings of Anderson and Gordon, two offense-first guys, has a lot of folks seeming to think the Rockets just don't care about defense. That is absolutely not the case. Remember, the very first meeting the Rockets had once free agency opened in July was with Atlanta's Kent Bazemore, and Bazemore's a classic 3-and-D player. They allegedly offered Bazemore $72 million. They then met with Al Horford the next day, who's known as one of the top post defenders in the entire league. Then, after Kevin Durant chose the Warriors on July 4th, the Rockets offered Golden State the same deal that Dallas did to absorb Andrew Bogut into cap space. It just so happened that Bogut chose the Mavs. The Rockets didn't make a choice to ignore defense and free agency. It's just that in any one particular free agency, you don't have control over who says yes. Anderson and Gordon did, and that's where we are now. However, I don't think it's an indication over what the team's priorities are moving forward. Whether it be in trades or in future free agency periods, the Rockets are going to attempt to bring in more defensive-minded players and be a more well-rounded roster. If any of those moves happens before this coming season, it would have to be by trade, of course, since now the Rockets are basically capped out pending the resolution of the Donatus Matiunas situation. There haven't been many trade rumors in recent days, but anyone who knows Daryl Morey knows that he's always working the phones. My guess is that a consolidation move could still come this offseason. Right now, when you look at the wing positions, the Rockets have Harden, Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza, Corey Brewer, KJ McDaniels, and really even Sam Decker, who played lights out in Summer League. You could even throw Michael Beasley into the mix, too, although I think Beasley will largely be a power forward under uh, small ball sets with D'Antoni. The point is that the Rockets just have entirely too many players at the wing positions, specifically salary players, and they're running out of roster spots, too. My hunch is that Morey would love to trade two or three players for one, and it would especially be the case if the player they're trading for uh, is good on defense or has a contract expiring after the season, which would help their future cap room. Remember, the main reason that Harden renegotiated his contract was to make Houston a more attractive destination for future star free agents, such as uh, Russell Westbrook next summer, who, by the way, was a former teammate of James Harden's and still remains a good friend. If the Rockets can help themselves in the short term while also better positioning themselves for 2017 free agency and that run at Russell Westbrook, you absolutely know that Daryl Morey will be all over it. Anyway, I think we've covered enough ground for one podcast. I want to thank Brett Dawson, Pelicans beat writer for the uh, New Orleans Advocate, for taking the time to join us and giving us the inside scoop on Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon. I also want to thank all of you out there listening, be it our regulars or any first-timers. Doing a daily show in the Rockets is really an ambitious project, but it's one I'm extremely excited about, and we're working hard to line up even more great interviews in the days and weeks ahead. If you want to reach, reach out to us, the official Twitter handle for the show is at LockedOnRockets, and you can reach me at Ben Dubose. If you're interested in potentially advertising with the show, you can reach out to us at LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. With that said, I think it's time to sign off. Thanks to all you guys for listening, and I really can't wait to chat even more basketball with you guys in the weeks to come. Have a great day.